reading Matthew. We're going to be reading in Matthew, and we're going to be in verse one, uh, Matthew 18, verse 1. And that's where we're going to start. So if you want to open up your Bibles, that's where we'll begin. I do find it interesting that uh, we had planned probably a year and a few months ago uh, the reading plan for the year. And just like uh, Brad talked about a little bit ago, we talk about 2024. I find it God works through all these uh, moments and all these times, and I don't get to share them all up here, but like one today, what we're talking about, and then it happens to be the same time you see these wonderful kids up here singing, it just makes too much sense. And you'll get this once I, I begin reading here. It says this in verse one, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever becomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones... Those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. We're going to stop there. Um, you have to imagine the conversation that was going on before verse 1. Okay, so before verse 1, you, you have to take a, a process of what is happening. This is at this time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who it's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know 100% what was being said, but I'm pretty sure that they were making the case for who would be the greatest among themselves. And I, I just don't think one guy just decided, hey, I'm just going to ask this question. I think in many cases, it's a conversation of like, this is why I deserve it over you. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of conversation where you've had to identify as yourself better than someone. I don't because I'm already better than everyone. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should really listen to the sermon I'm talking about. Uh, but so many times when we are in these conversations, we so automatically become defensive and we start tearing down people and we put ourselves in different kinds. You have to imagine this being like, why, why is this going on? And I do think there's multiple reasons. And one of those, I like how Wearsby points this out. He says that in, in the current situation, Peter, like if you look at some of these stories, Peter has been put at the forefront in a lot of situations. One, Peter got to be at the mountaintop with Jesus. Two, Peter was also the one who walked on water. And at the end of chapter 17, uh, Jesus even had Peter's taxes paid for by getting his coins out of a fish. You know, like Peter's like in this position. And then there's these, the three guys that were a little bit closer that got to see the transfiguration. Like there's these different situations. All of a sudden people start thinking like, where's my position? Where am I at? And that's what's going on. And just like the disciples, we can all look at some points in our lives and think of, of a time where we start comparing and contrasting or where we become jealous of someone else as that they are in that position and we are not. In reality, we are very prideful and we are doing the same things. Many of us would just be like the disciples. 
Point number one I want you guys to, to process is through our pride. Through our pride. The flesh, the worldly body wants its treasure. That is treasure. And when I speak treasure, that is the, our earthly desires. The disciples wanted the worldly position of power. Because they did know Jesus was that of authority. They just wanted, they were processing it in a worldly way. I would think that they would try to bring stats and logic to their points as they're, they're arguing and figuring it out. It's just like in some circles today, in some circles today, they have the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate. Okay, so you have the, the like, who's better? And you're bringing, oh, this guy's won this many titles. This guy's lost this. You have that kind of title. Uh, you might have, which musical group is better? This group does this song. And this group does, you, you have that kind of debate. Uh, which is better, apple pie or strawberry pie? Or what, what's better, donuts or cookies? That's a hard one because it's really close. They're both awesome. Combine them and something, something that happens magically. So, you know, like we, we have that, but even in this time frame, there's these debates and there's this topic, and that's what's happening on here. Jesus has been informing these disciples during all this. You've got to think about all this, what's happening. Jesus has been telling them, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. This is what's going to be happening. And they're over there debating about who is the greatest. How many times do we miss that? In our own lives, we miss the point. Uh, we were just talking down in Sunday uh, school uh, about one of the lines uh, that we were talking about, because we, we were talking about different topics, is, is like Jesus is answering a very similar question, and he basically goes, the, the sons of Zebedee ask, like, hey, can I sit on the right side or the left side? And he goes, you do not even know what you are asking. You don't even know what you're asking. It really is, and I use this analogy, it is like a, a five-year-old, a parent of a five-year-old saying, coming up to a coach being like, and a coach of an NBA team being like, hey, my, my son deserves to start. And the coach is going to be like, you, you don't, what? You don't even know what you're asking. Like, you don't even know, we're not even in the same realm. Like, sometimes when we deal we don't even know what we're really dealing with. And what happens is pride comes in. Pride is the fall of many. It is a selfishness truly wrapped up into one's self-wants and desires. And what pride does so well, it can bring disunity to others. It can bring this disunity to a family it can bring disunity to a church. It can bring disunity to a workplace environment. It can bring disunity to a country. It can bring disunity to a world. Selfishness and pride have been the downfall of humanity since the beginning of eating the apple. Now, in this situation, the disciples were wise in the sense that they went to a person in the ultimate authority. They went to Jesus. So these guys asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then you got to imagine, it's a group of men right there. And then Jesus calls over a little child and places him among these grown men. Okay? Now, you do have to remember, during that time, children did not have any status. 
you know, unless they were like uh, in royalty or some, they did not have much status. Today in our culture, there's different kinds of families that like really lift up their children, really hold high regard to them. Some of them even live their childhood through their children. That's a whole nother topic for another day. But some of them, we, we, we lift them up. And then we also have this society where the children still don't matter in terms of hers. But in that time, they were, they were more viewed as property. Or, and uh, uh, Brad even mentioned down there that some, if you didn't have uh, a boy, they would just be discarded altogether because they didn't carry on the name. They didn't carry on the weight. So this child. So you got to imagine this group of men bringing in a child into this. And he says, truly, I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such a child in my name welcomes me. You also have to remember, and I, I, I know I'm going to, Brad said this so well, when he said, who's the greatest in heaven, could Jesus just gone, me? right? Like, I'm here. Like, I, I'm the son of God. Like, do you not see what? And he pulls over a little child, and it goes so beautifully into God's nature, Jesus's nature of pulling in someone that you, someone views less than, because that's how God came. That's how Jesus came. He came less than. He didn't need to, he decided to. And that leads to point number two. Through our humility. You have two really major options. That's through our pride or through our humility. As always, Jesus flips this world upside on its head. It's this upside down world kingdom that we're talking about. The world today is saying more, more, more. See if you get this movie, My Precious. Does anyone know that movie reference? Lord of the Rings? All right. Lord of the Rings, books or whatever, they have the ring. It's the ring to rule them all. It's my precious. And if you watch it, he gets sucked into it and he becomes distorted of a man because a man has it so long. His worldview is wrapped around this ring and it's wrapped around himself. And it's this desire. It's this desire of pride and selfishness. Humility is less. It's yours. Jesus coming down from heaven itself and laying down his life for sinners. My life is yours. These disciples, like each of us, would have been waiting for this answer to see where they've stacked up. Jesus truly doesn't really even acknowledge their conversation of them, of which one's the greatest. Well, Peter, you, you do this well. John, you do this well. No, he basically sidesteps and brings a child in front of them. And many of us today, just like we saw today, your faces, you guys were more quiet, paying more attention when the children were up here than when I'm talking right at you. Right? You saw the children up there, you're like, that was beautiful, that's great. And we know it wasn't Jared, we know it was the kids. 
we love Joseph, we love Jared, but the kids were like, they got my attention. There, there's this innocence to them. There, there, I see this. There's this, this, this vulnerability, this, this trustworthy. There's just something different. And I want to protect them from the world. I want to protect them. And you see that up here. And all of you guys are, there's cameras out and there's smiles on. But have you ever hit a, uh, heard a kid just truly laugh and then try to be mad about it? It's really hard. It's really hard. There's got to be something wrong with you. I know when my daughter laughs or sometimes like she could have just gotten in trouble. It's like, ah, like there's this joy. There's just something there that's special, that's unique, that this is love. And the God of the universe loves that for you too. Do you not think that he has that relationship with you? Does he, he's not this God over there being like, oh, Billy laughed, whatever. What's he laughing about? No, he's like in it. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. And he's in it with us. Because if not, he would have never sent his son to die for us. If he was going to leave us, he would have left us. But he came with us and he was in it. And when you're crying, he's there too. Have you ever heard a kid cry? And you're in it with them and you're like, who is he? Did someone hurt you? Because I'm taking him out. Like there's this protective part as a father too. There's this humility to a child. Wearsby does lean on these two points, though, and I think sometimes we uh, view humility poorly. He says this, True humility means knowing yourself, accepting yourself, and as I mean that, as a sinner saved by grace, and being yourself, your best, to the glory of God. It means avoiding two extremes thinking less of yourself than you are to be, or thinking more of yourself than you are to be. The truly humble person does not deny the gifts God has given him, but uses them to the glory of God. What does this mean? Like sometimes when we use humility, people uh, think of like, uh, woe is me. Like, I can't do anything, or I shouldn't do anything. There, that's, a, that's not humility, that's just you not doing anything, thinking less of yourself. Or there's the other part where you think way too highly of yourself. I can do this. I got it all. I, got, I don't need you. I don't need anything. There, there's these two camps. Do you think of yourself? And, and I want you to think, and we're going to dive just into these for just one second. Do you think of yourself as having less ability so your worth goes down. Maybe one of you in here today has always been, uh, my worth is, is not that much. I can't, I can't do that much. Uh, I, you might say you're not, but America's society, is numbers are staggering. Here's just some of the stats of um, the spike in depression and suicide going on in the world right now. The latest stats that I had was March 2023 stated that young people are more likely than older adults to be experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression. Nearly half of adults between ages 18 and 24 reported anxiety and depression symptoms in 2023. That's compared to one-third of all adults total. So the stats lay out like this. 32.3% of all adults have some form of anxiety or depression disorder. Ages 18 to 24 are at 49.9% of anxiety and depression. That's one out of every two 
people. Ages 25 to 49 are at 38%. 50 to 64-year-olds are at 29.3%. And the best is, if you're over the age of 65, you're living the good life at 20.1%. Why do I bring these stats up? Because people do not have a proper God view of themselves. I know some and many of these people truly do have uh, mental issues, and that there are things of anxiety. But I also believe that there are many that are not right standing with Jesus Christ. And so they do not know their worth. They do not know their value. And they do not know where they are in a fallen world. Because they are judging and grading themselves by a worldly standard. And it doesn't help when they see someone else in a better position or with more money or with more things in a bigger house or they're married at this time of age or they have these kind of children and in and of those selves are not bad it's not bad to have children it's not bad to be one to be married but the promise is when we start comparing and we start being prideful and we start judging ourselves in a worldly standard then all of a sudden our self-worth is that of a worldly standard and then all of a sudden we are worth it we now do not feel worthy and the pride has come in. And all of a sudden, we don't have humility. We have just beaten ourselves up. And we do not have our value properly placed in the hands of God. And when people don't have the proper worldview, and we look around where we stack up the world, it sort of reminds me just as what the disciples were saying and being a, a comparing to. Where do I stack up? They did not use a kingdom of heaven grading scale. Many people, and I mean many, many in the world today use the grading scale of the world. Evil and Satan want you to continue that path. And that path is not of God's standard. But you have that view, but you could also go the other way, where we think more of ourselves than we are to. Romans 12, verse 3 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And then let's also look at 1 Corinthians 12. We start here, the, the body of Christ. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Already, you can already see, they're taking away the comparisons. It doesn't matter if you're free or you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. It doesn't matter. We're all in God's spirit. That is our proper view. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? 
If the whole body were here, where would be the sense of smell? But as, that, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I just named out some stats that compared to the negative about the suicide and depression of the rate. But did you know that a Harvard study has come out recently and said the benefits of being in a church, a godly church, like a, a biblically-based church, mortality rate goes down 20 to 30% if you're within the body of Christ. Depression and suicide go down. Optimism goes up. And just so you know, this is not part of any country club. They said the stats do not figure if you are part of a golf country club or if you're a tennis club or if you're riding horses or if you're a, a pie-eating contest person, Ronnie, uh, whatever, like wherever you are, it doesn't matter where that is. There's just a, this different spiritual aspect that God has given us. We are all part of the body of Christ. And when we humbly know where we're at properly with each other, that is a grace and it is a joy to be given. And we have to realize that when we are part of a given a body for the ear, for the eyes, for the mouth. It's a gift. Did you know that you are part of the body? Like you are not just some person that's watching a TV show about it. You are a participant. You are an actual person playing a part. And you got to think about this really carefully. How amazing, how glorious, how precious is that God of the universe has given you a gift. Has given you a gift. I love when I get to see my daughters and I seem like my wife's face in it. Like, you see, I am so glad she looks like my wife. Oh, my goodness, you have no idea how much I prayed for her not to look like me. It's a gift. Now, I know that's like looks, but you start seeing different attributes of, of the child. And you see it and you're like, oh, what a joy. I wonder what God's going to do with that. I wonder what God's going to do with this. And so many times, that is a beautiful thing. But then you start thinking, God's still using me. What gifts has he given me? What, and humbly, I want to take those. And humbly, I want to live those out properly. Not build it up. Oh, look at what I can do. No, like, I'm doing this all for the glory and honor of God. Because I know what he has done. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And some of you in here right now, have not taken the gift, not used it. Just like Moses, when God told him to go and speak, and he's like, I can't do it. I get Aaron. Like, always excuses, always something. And God helped him along the way. But there are some of you that God has told you what to do, and you're still saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. And at some point, God will go and use someone else. God's will get his done. But he wants to be in relationship with you. Humbly be obedient. Humbly follow him. Let's look at verse 6. It says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. There's the joyful Jesus that we talk about. 
I do believe that Jesus is talking about little children here, but I also believe he's talking about new believers as well. New believers in Christ. Like, what you do with them. This is, this is mightily convicting. I, me and Brad, we talk about this once in a while. It's like, when you read this, you realize that God has continued to speak through me and how many times I fall short. But there will be a day where I too will be held in account. What do I do with new believers? What do I do with the young ones? I think we really have to be careful. And when we start thinking about this, we need to think about how God views the children or how God loves the children. The problem is, is I think even us as, as older believers, we can be like, uh, when we see a new believer, we can fall into the trap. It's like, God loves me more. I've been in it longer. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. And I, I'm sure some of you have felt that way, and that isn't right. And some of you have been like, well, I've done this, and I've been able on these missions trips. That person just found Christ. Like, God, like, we're... Like, no, we are supposed to love them, disciple that. Because in the Western culture today, all over the institutions, we usually hand out positions by who's been there the longest or who's done this the best. And I'm not saying those are wrong. I'm just saying that because you're in a position of authority does not make you better than anyone who is not in that position. I'm not just saying this as a humble breath. I am in no better position than any other believer. Actually, when I took the job, I did not want to take it because I knew there would be more account on my head. I'm being dead serious. And I still have a fear of God in that area. That's why I ask for help from friends and study because I want to handle the word properly. And I want to go along with that. And when you do that, there is no special... I, I am still held into account for my humility. I'm still held into account of how I walk. We are all in this together. And that is a beautiful thing. And it's also going to be a very dangerous thing if we lead someone astray. God loves the new believer just as much as the old believer and vice versa. They are both given different talents and different attributes and different gifts. The problem is, is when pride comes in, we start determining who is better or who is greater. And then when we look at literal children, a child that is full of trust, they have wonder and awe in their eyes. A child is still desperate and dependent on their mother and father, and they still know their position in life. Each child contributes, but they also know their role. One of joy, one of crying. But in no matter what of those situations, a child is dependent on their parents. And unlike some parents in the world today, our Father is always there. He will always be there. And us too, we have to be dependent on Christ. So many times we pick and choose when we want to be dependent on Christ. We like being dependent on Christ when things are going bad. When I really need Him. Are we dependent in all areas? 
I do like the whole context that when Jesus brings the child to those 12 men, I think in that situation, he actually shows and he flips it and he shows how childish those men really are. It's a flipping. Jesus loves doing that kind of stuff. Like this is the, he's going to inherit the kingdom of earth. You guys are acting childish. I also think this shows the character of God. God loves children. He values them. And I believe that he wants all of us to help clear the path for them. And I believe that is with little children and with new believers, there's a responsibility and a need that God has set forth. The problem is we have neglected some of these areas on both fronts. We have abandoned children. If you've looked around in the world today, humans have abused children. We have killed children in and outside of the wombs. And we said it's okay in a Western culture and around the world today. And I am telling you, if you look at Scripture, I would not want to be one of those who has put their hands on children. There will be judgment and there will be consequences. And you too will be challenged if you have led astray a new believer, if you have neglected or abused or put down someone new to the faith. That is why we are to live in humility in an all-wonder view of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility, and this responsibility is in a church. This responsibility has been given to us here on the west side of Fort Wayne, the east side of Whitley. That's where we are responsible. That's where God's gifted us and put us at right now. I'm not doing missions in Canada right now. Thank you. I'm not doing missions in Effort. Like God's put me here. This is where I have to be. And so many of us look at the future and look at the past. It's like, no, where God has put you right now. God has gifted you and put you right now. We're going to watch a video about gifting and the community of the church, and then I will come up and wrap up. If I'm honest, I never really liked the church. I didn't even really like Christians that much. I used to think of it like a package deal. Like, you get Jesus, and so you get the church and Christians thrown. It's just part of the package, and uh, there are some bits you like Jesus, some bits you don't like so much, just like the church and Christians um, used to find that a bit annoying. But I'd turn up the church and go through it, but I didn't really enjoy going to church. And then one day, uh, I was at the back of our church in East London, and someone said to me, oh, we need help to run the coffee team. And I was like, I was like working like 70, 80 hour a week. I'm like, what? And they were like, yeah, we, Steve, we really need your help running the coffee team on a Sunday. And I was thinking, I'm a barrister, I'm not a barista. Like I've got a job, I don't need another job to run the coffee team. But I just, you know, sometimes you, you just can't even think of what to say. So I was like, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, okay. And, and I, instead I was like, why did I do that? So I turn up next week, like, you know, trying to get the cups and everything, get the coffee right. As I handed these cups to people, something really changed in me. I found myself, as I handed coffee to these people, growing in love for them. I was like, these people are amazing. Like, this is this extraordinarily diverse community. It's been gathered from across the area, probably not another place that looks as diverse and integrated as this. This is a miracle. And then I, even people I found a little bit more frustrating and complicated, as I handed them their coffee, I kind of grew in love for them. And I kind of basically fell in love with the church. And then I kind of went back to the person who'd asked me to do it. I said, we need a new coffee machine. 
we need better beans. We need better mugs. Like, we, come on, these are amazing people. I want this to be the best coffee that they get. You know, they, they're coming to church on a Sunday morning. I got more and more passionate. I started to build a team to serve coffee on a Sunday morning. I sometimes say, making coffee changed my life because I fell in love with the Church of Jesus Christ. I didn't realize why it was special. I didn't realize why it mattered. And as I made coffee for people, I suddenly realized, oh, the church is like the bride of Jesus Christ. It's like the thing he gave himself for. Like the church is God's plan for the salvation of the world. There's no plan B, and God is gonna build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So like, God is putting all his eggs in the church basket. And I realized over those few weeks, there's a beautiful thing here. Yes, it messes up. Yes, it makes mistakes. You'll never find a perfect church, but it's a beautiful thing. And I thought, that's what I want to spend my life building. TikTok. Um, the reason why I put that, did you see the difference at the beginning? And then all of a sudden he got it. There was this pride. There was this like, oh, I don't really like church people. I don't really like this. I have my issues. I have my standard. And then all of a sudden he lowered himself and served. He served. And he gave. And all of a sudden he started seeing people through God's worldview, not pride through humility. It was, the pride was gone. Through the pride was, was gone. And then all of a sudden now he sees people through humility and this, this standard that only could come from God above and not from us. Now I'm going to ask you three questions. Question number one. Today, what grabs your attention? Like, what grabs your attention? Is, is it that you don't hold yourself in proper view of God? Or maybe you view yourself too highly? Or is that you look down upon co-workers that aren't Christian? Or, or you look down on new believers or whatever it is. But what's in your heart? And I think what we, a lot of times as believers, we skip to question number three is, okay, I got to fix it. I got to do it. I got to try harder. I got I to gotta fix this situation right away. I got I to gotta do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a different question at question number two before you get to three. Me and Dave DeSelm, uh, uh, we've talked about this, and he asked this question. What would a loving, godly, caring father say to his child, say to you? If he were to come up to me and go, John, my dear son. What would he say? If you're saying, I don't have any worth, I, don't, I can't do it, I, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. What would a loving, caring father say to you? Before you say, I got to get to church more, I got to do this more, I got to work harder more. What would a loving, caring father say? Would he probably put your hand on your shoulder and say, you are loved? I came for you? What would he say? And some of you have misconceptions for so long that if you just try harder, or you just work harder, if you do these steps, then what would a loving, caring father say to you, Bob, Doug, Stan, Jay, Tim? Yes, I'm using guys. I know. 
But what would he say to you? Because it is so easy just to be like, oh, this is another thing I have to do. No, no, what's he saying? He might just tell you that you are loved today. There might be no other step but saying, you are loved. You are my child. Just like the kids up here where everyone out there was smiling and happy and excited to see you, that's how I view you. I'm excited to see you. I'm excited to be with you. Maybe that's all it is today. What a beautiful thing. And then just like him, take the servant heart, wherever that is. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe wherever it is. But view people as God would. And I will tell you this, it will radically change your life. Go from through pride to through humility. Let us sing. Let's